morning I, I want to turn to the first epistle of John, John's first letter, and chapter 2, and just reading two verses, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, that is, he's writing to the church, to believers, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This morning I want to speak to you on a vital ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ towards us. Whenever Jesus was on the cross, as he was dying, in almost the last things he said was, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, of course, he was talking about his mission, his mission to earth, how he came to be the savior of the world. And how after over 33 years, that culminated in his death on the cross of Calvary for mankind. That's what was finished. But his ministry wasn't finished. In fact, in some ways, other facets of his ministry was just about to begin when he went back to the Father. Now, in January past, I was in Manila at a conference where Dr. Ravi Zacharias was the keynote speaker. And the very last session he did, at the end of it, uh, he mentioned just some personal things. And he talked about uh, every year, now this is a man about 74, every year uh, he travels the world 200 plus days a year as a Christian apologist. That's a lot of travel, a lot of work. And here's what he said at the end of it. He said, as far as that side is, is, is concerned, he says, I'm done, but I'm not finished. I'm done, but I'm not finished. In other words, my, my itinerating days are coming to a close. I'm done with that. I'm getting too old for that. It's too taxing, but I'm not finished. There's still other things I want to do. But little did Ravi know that just about two weeks after he left that conference, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And within just a couple of months, he had gone to glory to his reward. And so was he right? Absolutely. He was done. His, his itinerant days on this earth were over forever. But he wasn't finished. Because those books that he has written, many of them, and those videos he made, and all those YouTube clippings in universities and schools and, and everywhere he, he, he shared the gospel and, and did his apologetics. All of that is still living on. As one of old it said in the Bible, he being dead yet speaketh. And so Christ's mission on earth was done in that respect. But his ministry is continuing to this very day. And seated at the right hand of the Father, of course, he is our great high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's always interceding for us. You know, it's wonderful when somebody calls you and say, by the way, I was praying for you today. Isn't that lovely? That encourages you. But imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying and interceding for us continually. And then, of course, his mediatorial ministry. The fact that he is the mediator, the only mediator between God and man, Paul said. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Peter said on the day of Pentecost, he said there's only one mediator also. 
He says, There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it's this third ministry that John speaks of here, that he is our advocate in heaven. Our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, John said, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it's very obvious why we need an advocate. Because on earth we have got an adversary and we've got an accuser. The evil one, the arch enemy of our very souls, the one who is quick to condemn, the one who points the accusing finger, the one who slanders the people of God. And thank God, even though that's happening, thank God we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. Advocacy is a legal term. It's found in a court of law. An advocate is one who, who fights the cause of another in the courts of justice. Now, our, our British court system is adversarial. And that means to say that it's got a judge, it's got a jury, it's got a prosecution, it's got a defense. And of course, it's got the defendant in the middle, the accused. Uh, and the prosecutor's job is to take the, the complainant's accusations, level them against the defendant, and try to find him guilty of all charges. But then the defense, the advocate, his job, or her job as it may be, is then to defend the defendant, is to try to demolish all of those arguments and accusations that's come against the defendant and be successful in that. And then, of course, the judge is simply an arbiter in our system. Uh, and he, he guides the jury. He tells them about the legal terms and he keeps them right and he lets them know what their limitations are as jurors, what they can do and what they can't do, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Uh, and he, he also is an arbiter between the defense and the prosecution because whenever they go at each other, and I, they go ding-dong at each other in court. I mean, they could kill each other in court because they want to win their case. And sometimes the judge has to step in and pull them back and make sure they don't overstep their bounds legally in the court. And so that's our adversarial system. And it works fairly well, might I add, at least our British system does. Now, the jurors at the end of the case obviously has to go away, think about all they've heard and all the evidence for and against weigh that up and then they come back with a verdict and that's what their job is. Now, heaven system is slightly different, if I could put it this way. Uh, there is no juror, jury, uh, but there is a prosecutor, the evil one, the accuser, the slander, the one who brings all those accusations against the brethren. And then there is the defender, the advocate, in our case, it's Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who fights our corner, the one who stands beside us, the one who's there for us, the one who knows every single thing about us, and he is there and defends us. He is our advocate. Now, courts, to the uninitiated, are very intimidating places to be in. And, and over 40 years as a pastor, I, I have been to several court cases, everything from petty sessions to magistrates' courts to crown court and even at a, at a murder trial many years ago in the high court. And 
Sometimes I'm there as a witness, sometimes to give a testimonial, sometimes just to, to have moral support for the person who is, who is facing that ordeal at that particular time. And of course, it is intimidating because the judge and the, the lawyers, the barristers, they're all wearing their gowns and their wigs, the jury sitting there, and of course then the press are also there scribbling their notes. And then, of course, there, there is the, the, the public gallery where people are watching. Sometimes nothing to do with the case, but they're in publicly watching it. So imagine if you're in the dock, you're the accused, you're the defendant, and you're sitting there. It's very, very intimidating, very intimidating, even for witnesses to get up in the midst of all of that officialdom and all that legal speak that goes on that sometimes you don't understand. It's very, very intimidating uh, indeed. But heaven's court... It's not like that. In fact, you and I are not even there. We don't even see that. We don't see our prosecutor condemning us and accusing us. We don't see our defender, our advocate fighting our cause. In fact, the sad thing about it is that very often Christians doesn't even know they've got an advocate in heaven. They don't even understand that there is an enemy who's accusing them all the time, at every opportunity. But I want you to understand it. I want you to know. Remember years ago, my, my wife and I were driving home from church. We, we belonged to a church in Belfast at the time. And we lived in Ballyclare, which is in East Antrim. And as we were driving home, there was myself, my wife in the car, her sister, her brother-in-law, four of us. And as we were driving what's called the Larne Line, that dual carriageway, some of you may know that, it was about one o'clock in the afternoon. It was a beautiful summer's day. And we saw, we saw someone lying face down on the grass verge. And of course, we quickly pulled into the side because our immediate reaction was, this is probably a hit and run. Somebody's got hit and cars went on. And so we, we went over, my brother, her, Sally's brother-in-law and I, we went over and we spoke to the person and there was no response. We shook them a little bit, still no response, so we decided to turn them over. And as we turned them over, we could see immediately that he had been murdered. He had been shot in the head and was lying dead. His body was still, still warm, so it hadn't been too long before we found him after he was murdered. And then, of course, the police came and they took uh, statements, and we were the first witnesses, and they took our statements and all the rest of it. And then about seven years later, uh, I got out of my car to walk into the church and the detective who had been on that case, whom I knew from childhood, he said, David, remember the guy you found murdered seven years? I said, yeah, well, we have his murderer and he's up in court very soon and we would love you to come and be a witness. I says, well, what do you want me to say? Well, how you found the body? We're not sure whether he was killed in the car and dumped or whether he was taken out and shot on the side of the verge. So, I remember the day I went to that court, and I'm talking about how intimidating this is. And the place was packed, and the family of the victim was there, and they were crying, and they were wailing, and they were shouting, and they were sad, and they were angry. The press was there. There was extra police cordon there because it was a high-profile case. Fortunately, I didn't have to give witness that day because he pleaded guilty. And I remember the thing that stuck in my mind was, in the midst of that bear pit, in the midst of that intimidating place, and the, the tension was palpable in the air. In the midst of that, this guy stood alone. No family member with him. 
no friend, no mate, no pals, came totally alone. Not that I felt sorry for him because he had committed a heinous crime, but it was just the atmosphere of that place. Well, thank God that we don't see that. Anyway, thank God we don't see the enemy accusing us to God. But we need to know that he does it. And we need to know that we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous, who will stand for us in the midst of all of this. And so, sometimes we are aware that we are the one in the dark. Sometimes we're really aware that we are the ones who did wrong, that who blundered, that who messed up, that who actually sinned and got it so wrong. And our adversary is pointing the accusing finger. And, and sometimes it's not because we were right. Sometimes it's because we were wrong. We were in the wrong. We did the wrong thing. We messed up and we sinned. And so he charges us and he condemns us. But even if we have done wrong, and even if we were the ones who did sin, yet our advocate will stand with us against the enemy. Our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he won't get us off in some flimsy technicality. No, he's a much better way to deal with these things than that. And he will stand with us in all times, in every situation. You see, Jesus as our great high priest, the Bible says he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses. And remember that Jesus identified fully with our humanity. He came to this earth. Although he was in a human body and he was without sin, but he came to this earth and he identified with us human beings. And he, he knows our weaknesses and he knows where we feel and where we falter. But as our great high priest who intercedes for us, who prays for us, he prays for strength and, and God's grace to strengthen us that we may have victory over these things that trip us up that we may have victory over the things that hold us back and keep us down, and may have victory over those things that come between us and a holy God. And so he prays for us that we may have the strength to overcome these things, and thank God he does. But what if, after all of his prayers, what if we do fail and we do falter? Remember he said to Peter, he says, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. I, I, I know you're going to fail. I, I already told you before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So I know you're going to fail, but I pray that your faith will not fail. That, that deep inner belief will not fail. And so sometimes we do fail, and sometimes we do sin. You know, this is what John, I, I write these things unto you that you sin not. Uh, you know, God gives us the grace that we don't live in sin, that we don't continue to sin, that we don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. He gives us the grace not to do that. But sometimes in our humanity and our weaknesses, sometimes we fail and we falter and we sin. So what happens then? Of course, the enemy will come and he will point that out and he will condemn us. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You know, there's a, a picture in the Old Testament uh, which, which really you don't really need to turn to. Uh, it, it's in the book of Zechariah. 
Zechariah chapter 3. The children of Israel had come out of their their captivity after all those years. Joshua, the great commander under Moses, took them over the Jordan. And then their their first high priest after that was also called Joshua. It was quite a common name. But he he wasn't the commander Joshua. He was the high priest. And and, And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest had to go in and he had to bring a sacrifice for the whole nation to cover their whole sins of the whole nation. But before he could do that, he'd have to bring a sacrifice for his own sins before he could provide for the sins of the whole nation. And so here is this priest, and he's standing. And wait till you see the state he's in. Let me just read this for you. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. What a mess he was in. Standing with filthy garments. He was no better than the next man. He he was no better than the, the sin of the whole nation. He was a sinner standing with filthy rags. But listen... Satan was there to oppose him and accuse him. But listen to how the Lord deals with this. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. I have taken your sins away, and I have clothed you with rich robes. You know, if we sin, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we can come to him and we can say, Lord, I am so sorry. I have messed up. I am truly, truly sorry. What do you think Jesus is going to do with that? When our heart is truly repentant, he will cleanse us. (laughs) He will totally cleanse us. When we come with stained garments to him, And we feel condemned. The enemy is opposing us and he condemns us. The Lord Jesus will cleanse us if we're truly sorry. He will completely and utterly cleanse us from all sin. Glory to God. And so, in Psalm 109, verse 31, For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor and save him from those who condemn him. Isn't that good? For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor and save him from those who condemn him. Yes, we have an adversary. Yes, we have an accuser. But yes, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In 1 John 2, 2, John says, And he himself is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. And so even though Jesus, by the way, is the the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. But he's only advocate for the believer. He's your advocate and he's my advocate. But what about, what about the unbeliever? What about the sinner? Is he not their advocate? No, he's their mediator. You see, before I, before I get saved, it wasn't an advocate I needed. It was a mediator. It was someone who knew the depths of my sin and knew the holiness of a holy God. 
and only the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows the holy righteousness of God, but who also knows the depths of our sin, because on that cross, He took our sins and He took our shame and He bore them for us. The Bible says He became sin for us on the cross. So He knows the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, but He could take God's hand and He could take my hand and bring us together and reconcile me back to God. And those of you who are saved today, that's what He did for you. He reconciled you to God. What a ministry the Lord Jesus Christ has got today. And so, I am saved today and I am reconciled to God and, and, and many of you are also that are listening to me today. And so thank God that we are and thank God that he made him sin who knew no sin that he might become, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so having said all of that, I have enjoyed his mediatorial ministry. I'm enjoying his intercessory ministry. But in spite of all of that, I still falter and I still fail and I still fall. And you do too. In our humanity, we do. And that's why we still need the ministry of the advocate. The one who will stand and not allow Satan to continually condemn us. Glory to God. And so, even though we have confessed our sins and our feelings, our adversary will still point them out, will still point the finger, will still make the accusations. By the way, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us. Not condemns us, but convicts us. And conviction draws us to the Lord for forgiveness. Condemnation pushes us away from Him but conviction draws us to him. Now, in Romans chapter 8, uh, I, I want us just to read just a, a few pieces in, in Romans chapter 8 because we, we need to know this and to be encouraged in this. In Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Glory to God. And so we need to understand our position in Christ. We need to know today where we stand, because if we don't, 
then we're going to be hounded by the evil one with his accusations and his condemnation. And we'll never rise above that if we don't know where we stand. But thank God we do know. We know we stand and we have an advocate with the Father, the one who defends our case. Thank God for Jesus today. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 33. The devil, of course. He's the accuser. In Romans 12 and 10, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the slander. Verse 34. Who is he condemns? It's the devil, of course. That's who. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Satan will desperately try to separate you and me from the love of Christ. How does he do that? Paul tells us he's the one who tries with tribulation and distress and persecution and famine, nakedness, peril or sword. All of this and more is to cause us to doubt God's love for us. He'll whisper to you in your trouble. He'll say, God doesn't care about you. If God really cared about you, you wouldn't be in this mess. If God really cared about you, you wouldn't be struggling the way you are today. If God cared about you, you wouldn't have this big difficulty, this mountain you're trying to climb, if God really cared. You see, he does all of this to try to separate us from the love of God, which we have in Christ Jesus. And yet, verse 37, And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because Jesus is at our side, because he stands for us as our advocate, then we can overcome every trial, every difficulty, every problem we're facing. We can overcome it in Jesus' name. For I am persuaded, he said, that neither death nor life. I mean, you can't get any bigger than death or life. But Christ is the one who holds the very keys of death and hell itself. And Revelation 1, 17 and 18, let me just read it to you quickly. But when he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Ha! The Lord holds the keys of death and hell itself. He holds the keys. Thank God. Not the devil. The Lord holds the keys of very death and hell itself. And so he said, Who shall separate us from the love of God? I am persuaded that neither death nor life can life separate us from the love of God. No, no, because Christ is the life. John 1, 14, John 1 and 4, In him was life, and his life was the light of man. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we can't be separated from him, from his love. He said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will be with you even unto the very end. Old F.W. Borum said that that was David Livingstone's favorite text. He said at various difficult times in his life, when times was tough, he would enter that text into his diary, and he'd add, it is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's an end of it. <laughs> Isn't that good? 
He is the, it is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor, so there is an end of it. Verse 38. Neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing in the supernatural realm, nothing in the great incomprehensible realms that we have never seen, that we barely understand, that's going on behind the scenes of our life, nothing in that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Can principalities or powers can that separate us? No, because in Colossians 2.15, it tells us that Christ on the cross defeated them, all of them. In fact, it says he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So they can't defeat you either. You can't be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are things present? Are things to come? Can things present separate you from the love of God? Of course not. For he is the great I am. Not the great I was or the great I will be, but the great I am right now, this very moment present with you and for you. Can things come, things to come? Can that separate us from the love of God? No, because Christ has promised that he would come, didn't he? All things are subject to him at his coming. Christ has dealt with our past, his plan for our future, and right now he is present with us, right now by his Holy Spirit. Revelation 1.8, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Christ is the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. He's the one who's our advocate to fight our every battle, to help us win through in life. Listen, the war has already been won. The outcome is absolutely sure. Satan is defeated and will be eternally defeated. But the battles still rage. And it's in the battles of life that we need our advocate, we need our intercessor. We need that one who comes and who fights our cause. Can height nor depth separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? No. No, no. Whether it's on the mountaintop, whether it's the height, or whether it's in the valley, whether it's the depth. And sometimes we're on the mountaintop, and it's easy when you're on the mountaintop, isn't it? When there's no problems, when everything is well, and you're feeling good physically and mentally and emotionally, financially you're okay, and everything's well, your kids is behaving, your marriage is great, all that. It's easy then to praise God and to say glory to God, it's wonderful. But what about when you're in the valley? What about when things go wrong? What about when you blow it? What about when the enemy's accusing you? What about when that finger's coming against you all the time? How do you feel then? How do you handle that? Well, you have to remember that he is with us at all times. Psalm 139. Listen to what this says, verse 7, 8, and 9. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He just cannot get away from the Lord. He is with us at all times. Glory to God. And then he says, 
we're beginning to wrap up. Then he says, nor any other created thing. Satan is a created thing. Angels and demons are created things. But Christ was not created, he was begotten. John 1, 14, <laughs> the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. The first Adam was created, not begotten. The last Adam, which is Christ, was begotten, not created. And I'm glad it says he was begotten because that means he entered into this world as a human being. He wasn't created. He didn't arrive on this earth at 33 years of age, ready to go to the cross. He was born as a little baby in a stable. He entered in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He came in human form, in human flesh, as a human being. So he knows how we feel. He's lived in this earth, he knows the difficulties that life throws up. He knows all of that. He faced everything. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And right now, he is at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us, where he's seated there to be our advocate against the evil one who would come against us. So he was born for us and he died for us. And he rose again for us. And he's coming back for us. But meanwhile, he's living for us. He lives for us. He fights our battles. He's with us in every sphere of our lives. Let me, as I begin to close now, I want you to imagine, just for a moment, I want you to imagine you're in court you're about to go on trial for your life. But your defense lawyer comes to you and he says to you, I just want you to know this. I've done this for 40 years. I have tried hundreds of cases and I want you to know I have never lost one. Never once did I ever lose a case and all of that time. Wouldn't that give you confidence? Wouldn't that give you a lot of confidence? Wouldn't you think to yourself, well, there's a chance now I'm going to get off? Of course it would. The Lord Jesus Christ has never lost a case. He's been 100% victorious. Never, ever lost a case. And he is the one who is our advocate. He is our defender today. Aren't you glad for that? And so whatever's going on in your life, whatever mistakes you've made as a believer, whatever blunders you've made, whatever sins you may have committed, and you know there's that accusation that comes against you, even in your own mind sometimes, or even the enemy's coming against you with this, or other people perhaps, listen today. You've got this advocate who loves you. He is your defender. He'll fight your cause. Glory to God. I want to pray as we close. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you are our defender. Even though you're seated in heaven, but by your spirit you're with us every day. And I thank you that there's not one accusation that you'll not handle. <laughs> I thank you, Lord, that you will free us and liberate us into your glorious 
the life that you have prepared for us. And so we bless you today. And Lord, every accusation, every false accusation, everything that comes against the people of God, that the enemy stirs up, that throws against us, we thank you, Lord, that you're more than able to take care of that. We thank you, Lord, that you've never lost a case and you're not going to start with us today. So we bless you for this. We thank you for your grace and for your strength. We thank you, Lord, that we're overcomers today. Because of that, we thank you that we triumph in your triumph. And we give you praise and we give you glory. In Christ's name, amen.